When you don't want them to drain your bank account anymore, so you tell the lads to just go have a beer. It's That's So MLS with myself, Nick Thornton. With me as always is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing? Nick, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Another interesting week of games and interesting results. How many, at the RSL game, how many times do you think Mike Petke swore on the sidelines? I'll give you the or uh, the over under is thirty. <laughs> I think it's got to be at least thirty. Although I saw anytime the camera sort of broke to him, it was just sort of the stoic hands in pocket, chewing gum, just being like, "Well, here we are." Yeah, like at what point do you just like? And, and this was we can we can start right there. We can get right into sure. it. Uh, uh, the game which we are discussing is. Uh, DC United five nothing nothing RSL, which you texted me about saying you tweeted me saying, "Wow, I want to see at least your your reactions to this or Pecky's." And I feel like my reaction to this was to like dissociate, like yeah, like, like at some point it's like, um, I mean you can't judge it as a it it ceases to become a soccer game at some point. Because uh, I think the major talking point is that two people were sent off. Yeah, and I mean, and that's really the heart of it. And it's unfortunate because um, DC really did play a great game. And so it's sort of like through no fault of their own, they just steamroll, they take advantage of their situation. But the whole thing for me is kind of started off fairly early um, because there's just this early penalty kick that's given on um it's a stump i believe on paul Ariola. i have silva his, here yeah it's silva's stomp on him oh and, yes um it's really not i don't think a malicious stomp and I, I it's inside the box he he does catch him late but he's not really looking at the player i think it's a little bit unfortunate and that so it's a yellow card and a penalty now, it's enough that I think you can argue, yes, it's a penalty. Um, and I guess in that case, it needs to be a yellow, but I've seen penalties given and there's no card given on fouls in the box. So uh, I, I just thought that was a little unfortunate. Of course, Wayne Rooney's going to pounce on that and capitalize. And then the for most of the rest of the goals, it really is just... DC overwhelming Real Salt Lake and doing what they do best um, and, and just playing incredibly, incredibly well. Um, Jefferson Savarino gets a really high boot in, uh, I think it's Acosta's face, which sees us, which gets him a straight red. So that's the first red of the game. That one's kind of hard to argue. I mean, you kick a person in the face, whether it's accidental or not. He certainly does lash out with it. Like it's not a fair territory. No, um, I don't know what you know. It's kind of a, an obligatory red, even if it's not intentional. The referee doesn't have much choice, I think, in that case. No, no, I don't think they do. And and what I had here, I mean, hmm, I had here that that half just could have gone worse. Uh, part of it was the red, but like you said, the penalty came before that. Um, I think that that uh, with the pen, I think if you if you categorize it as stomps, 
unlike the one where the the player was sort of coming down from from a week or two ago, uh, and got a, a cleat into the midsection. Um, this one was kind of I think one of those ones where you're you're putting down your foot with gusto, and then the the ankle is there before you have the chance to 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 make a secondary movement. Yeah, I just have a hard time believing, too, that, like, Silva is really trying to intentionally stomp like that on the ankle. You mm-hmm. know, you see players sort of intentionally sometimes do it on a foot, but on an ankle like that, um, if if your thought is, oh, that's intentional and therefore it's, you know, and he, and he fouls them, then for me it's got to be a red. If it's, I don't know. I think that you, you also, so, so they're between that, and then the second yellow, um, and also I think the second DC goal kind of comes off of a of a loose pass from Marcelo Silva. Um, it's I don't even know when you when you put all the calls together. I don't even know if you can especially say that it was like um, in, in super unjust decisions. You know, all the ones were 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 kind of ones that had to be made. But if you had to, like, so if you had to isolate like uh root cause um it was kind of a rough game for marcelo silva i think it certainly was i think the second yellow is is incredibly harsh i mean he's already booked and so the referee's looking at him but he just kind of bundles into the player it's not he's not he kind of goes shoulder to shoulder with him and gets punished for it and it looks like more of a push than it is and the referee doesn't hesitate and sends him off well i mean I I guess this is just some of the problem that we have with some of these calls is just that when it's so incredibly soft, um, you know, does it mean then that a, a defender can't even challenge somebody in the box because then a f- every forward in the league is just going to hit the deck anytime they feel any sort of physical contact? I, fo- I felt like the second yellow, the first red, definitely. I'm okay with the first yellow as well. The... Um, the second yellow on Silva, I think, is is harsh, and it really does kill the game. And RSL doesn't play badly for most of the game. I thought they create a few chances. Yeah. Um, they play well against a very good DC side, and it just turns out to be Wayne Rooney's night where he's not going to miss. He gets his hat trick, and DC just finish them off. But I'm I can sort of see why Mike Petke at the end of the game was sort of like, you know, oh, you know, the days of saying drain my bank account are behind me and just saying like what else can you do but just say like, you know, stick together, go have a beer and just sort of drown your sorrows, shake this one off and we're going to have to try to piece something together against LA because now we've got inter- players away on international duty and we've got players uh out on reds it's going to be incredibly hard for them in their next match, but you know, what else can you really do? There was no, I wouldn't say any player, there was no stupid red cards or stupid decisions made by RSL players here. And that's the unfortunate part is a five, nothing scoreline that yes, it tells the story of DC really taking their chances, but it really doesn't say much about the quality that RSL has. I think that something to look at here is really the fact that, this is not the only game I think where this takes place this week. Um, a big concern is just this. Uh, I think sometimes when you see a second yellow, it can be really shocking, mm-hmm. and then you realize you think that's not a, that's not a red at all. Um, 
but, but accumulation. I guess it's yeah, I guess it's, it's more accumulation. You know what I mean, right? Like, like mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to take with 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 that one. I could certainly say I could certainly see that second yellow being considered to be soft. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel I don't know. I I I feel like we because of how important red cards are, we kind of like spend a lot of time thinking about you know what's a red and what's not a red. Mm-hmm. Um. But it underscores the importance of not getting yellows. But at the same time, they they I feel like they're a lot more discretionary than red cards are. So it's kind of hard to say like, oh well, this was an unfair yellow. Hmm. Yeah. No. It's it is true. I mean, I guess if you take it as an isolated incident, you say, is it worthy of a yellow? I would still argue, no, it's not. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm I don't think it's completely unjustified. It just. For me, it sets a little bit of a dangerous precedent again for uh, attackers to just hit the deck anytime they feel contact in the penalty box, and that referees are so quick to draw that yellow card and to um, to call it. No doubt. Um, so it's it's unfortunate, but um, you know, I guess the the silver lining for Mike Petke here is his team played well given adverse conditions. Um, they were never really going to find their way back into this one. If you're going to lose by f- five goals, I mean, they they stayed in it and actually gave a pretty good account for themselves. And I would say my main takeaway was there was a a couple of chances, sort of like deep in um, the eighty in the eightieth minute, where RSL actually had a couple of chances with nine men. They were streaming forward and connecting passes and trying to get something out of it. And I think that's that shows a lot of character when a team can just go, okay, look, clearly we're losing this game. Clearly we're going to have a major problem in our next game, but let's at least try to stick together, play well, and at least get some rhythm going here and not just put our heads down and give up. Even, even when the task is completely hopeless, um, let's still play with a little bit of pride and you know, show that we're, we're still a good team. And for me, that's a really positive takeaway. When you say like, uh, okay, so we know we're going to lose this, that the person whose face I saw that the most on and, and who this must have been the hardest for Nick Romando oh. just had the slick. I mean, here we thought Tim Howard was the loneliest goalkeeper in the league out on Tim <laughs> Howard Island. And Nick Romando, man, I hope, I hope some teammates of his bought him a beer that night because nobody, uh, deserved it more than him. I think that this kind of showed, uh, and I understand that they were on a red at first. Uh, as much as they did play very well, the the defense that they the the defense they had was completely overmatched compared to the sort of full press approach that the DC attack has right now. Yeah, I mean their front three is. We talked about how effective it was last season, and they've just picked up exactly where they've left off. I mean Lucio, Ariola. Rooney is just such a deadly combination. It's hard to find a better front three in MLS and RSL. I thought, you know, they got their marking right for the most part. Uh, some sloppy passes, some giveaways for sure that DC capitalized on. But um, it, it says as much about how good DC is. Or, or sorry, it says more about how good DC is right now than it does say about how bad RSL was. I thought that there's very few teams in the same circumstances that wouldn't have the exact same result. One team that had a good week was uh, Toronto FC. 
which continues to uh, defeat preseason expectations. Um, but I think showing a lot of character in a 3-2 win against New England. Yeah, this was kind of a, a quirky game. We, this was the, the one with the st- sort of strange offside goal that was allowed. But Ah, um, uh, yes. We can get to that because that happens sort of a little later in the game. Um, yeah, I think Toronto pleasantly surprised here and su- surprised by... Um, surprised me, at least, with... We talked last year about their lack of depth and how that really hurt them. And this was an example where we saw a full team effort, a lot of depth, um, a lot of youth on display, um, Akinola just dribbling through like six players to get his first goal. Phenomenal. A a really, really impressive result from them. Defensively, this is going to cause them problems and haunt them this season, I think. Bono still looks a little bit shaky. Uh, Mavinga is just from week to week, you don't know what he's going to do. That first penalty that he concedes, I mean, it's a really, really poor decision to make that kind of tackle that early on. Just hacks at him. Um, and is asking a lot of your team to to put you down a goal that early into a match. Um, so I'd like to see some better decision-making from him. It really um, could have, it really could have, if, if this had gone any worse, that was what we would look in the same way as the first penalty in the DC game, that's what we would have looked back at. Absolutely, yeah. It could have been a turning point. But it, as as you said, like it, it says a lot of character about TC, uh, Toronto that they were able to come back and and take all three points from this. Now, one of the goals, other than the uh, the Iowa-Akindeli goal, which, again, uh, phenomenal. I think he breaks... He breaks in on the left side, I believe, right? And he cuts uh, cuts straight into the middle. Akinola. Akinola, yes. I know. I got tripped up by that one, too. <laughs> yeah. This so is why we... I took extra time to write my notes, because I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix some names up this week. That's sensible. So he cuts in through the left, uh, past a uh, couple people into the middle. Yeah. It's a real, real pretty goal. And then the, the second goal, which is, I think, the, the, the thing a lot of people are discussing, this Jordan Hamilton goal, where the, uh, the ball is played. The ball is played to him and is deflected off of a defender and reaches him. The concern is that he was offside the whole time. Now, the ball was not played. He was not the last, the defender was the last person to touch the ball. And in our Atiba, the, the, the long time Atiba was on side reckoning. Yeah. If you, if the defender play, if the defender plays the ball, all is, all's forgiven in terms of offside. Um, but a lot of people were sore about that. And I read an article where like Matt, Michael Bradley was like, ah, you know, I'm not going to argue about it, but. I probably wouldn't have called it onside. I mean, the thing that I do remember is they talked about this last season and they apparently gave quite a number of warnings to teams and really tried to drill this home that if you make any, like if you play, if you're a defender and you play that ball, doesn't matter. It's, it's going to be considered onside. So it, it seems like they did try to do their work to let players know that this they were going to be enforcing this one. I mean, as a defender, it, 
it does make your job kind of impossible. But <laughs> I guess it does also say, like, if you have the awareness that the player is already offside, you know, it, it is asking a lot to, to just turn off your brain and not make any attempt to play the ball. But um, that's the rule, so it's it, it's rarely used, but by the letter of the law, it is the correct call, even though it looks really harsh because, yes, he's offside the entire time. It feels hard to judge, but I think if you think of it in the same way as um, uh, putting the ball uh, out of bounds, it's, I feel like all the same rules that apply to that are ones that you could sort of uh, put into your mental uh, functioning when it comes to offside. You know, it's mm. Has the has the other player kicked the ball and and uh, then you just let that you let that uh, roll out? Uh, are you the attacking player who's trying to gain positioning? Well, try to kick it off the shins of your defender um, and put the ball out. Uh, these are I don't know if they, like you said I don't know uh, mm-hmm. how you adapt mentally, but if you think of. Uh, I guess the logic of how all of it works, it's kind of similar. A little bit. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I mean, and like in defense too, is like, he's not, he's trying to play the ball to the player and a defender intercepts it and gets a foot on it. Mm. So that again, I think is part of the equation is like, well, had the defender been like, oh, well, he's offside anyway and let him run. The call would have been he's offside. And he was offside when the ball was played. However, you've just <laughs> negated that um, by taking, by trying to play it, and the fact that it's deflecting off of you to the player. It's asking an awful lot, but I, again, sure, you can say that. Well, the rule sucks, but the rule also has been extensively told to players. So uh, harsh, but. Them's the breaks, and I know this. Rules. I know this uh, uh, might not make you happy, but I am okay with the rule being um, more permissive toward uh, attacking players. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm actually okay with it too. Uh, as a defender, it's a nightmare. But that being said, uh, that goal did almost uh, was not the final uh, uh, say. That goal was not the final say in proceedings. Mm-hmm. No, um, is it Carl's Hill or Carl's Gill? I've heard people saying both. Oh, I have no idea. Great. Well, that player, uh, <laughs> great pickup for New England, gets them back into it, um, and and just sort of creates something out of nothing. And it and it looks like, uh, and it's shortly after that strange offside goal as well, or onside goal, I guess we should say. And it looks like, okay, New England has fought themselves back into it and, and really gave a great account for themselves. And then somebody just had to come and knock on the door to come spoil the party. And who else but Josie Altidore? This felt, uh, this felt like comforting, like a warm blanket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, TFC has had so many problems and, and specifically, um, you know, everybody's wondering what the impact of Javinko being gone is. Well, it kind of felt like we saw many games, including clutch games, where he was, where Javinko was not present in the last two seasons. And mm-hmm. this kind of felt like one of those. 
like like one where TFC is is has the effort in, doesn't necessarily have a lot going forward, is trying to figure it out, uh, and then sort of Altador uh, powers his way through to get the winning goal. And it's just good through good positioning as well. Right, because he is. He knows right. He I have here that he knows when to amend his run. Like the he knows sort of like the little switch of direction that'll throw uh, a defender off and put him into better position. Yeah, because the defender sees him, gets himself into position, and then Josie readjusts, runs into the open space. So it's just such great awareness from him to be in the right place and make it easy for himself to score goals. And I, I think have, that's where Josie Altidore spoils the party so much. Is it's not? I mean, he's had some brilliant strikes in his career, but it's also just he's got excellent movement, excellent um, positioning. So he gets himself into the right place where he's making it really easy for himself to score. Yep. Um, like I said, I think there's a lot to like here from Toronto. Um, regardless of whether or not you think that second goal is uh, is true or false. Um, yeah. They, they showed a lot of character. Altidore still looks great. Uh, I thought that, you know, New England looked good, even if a lot of sort of their positives were from, and I've looked this up now, Carles Hill. Carles Hill. Yes. Okay. Great. Love it. That makes sense. I get it. And, and I think that, that his strength in this game uh, doesn't necessarily mean that we have to stop thinking about, like, what happened to sort of the the offense that centered around Teal Bunbury and, and was able to sort of like circulate, but but was also able to circulate circulate through a number of uh, strikers and midfielders last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree, and it's good to see New England kind of finding their feet again, getting a little bit of fluidity back. Um, you know, I I still think they've. They've got some pieces they probably need to add in the summer transfer window, but I think they gave a good account for themselves as well this week. I was going to say that uh, I feel like Toronto uh, was able to mount the comeback. Uh, I feel like this was also a week for teams that were trying to get a comeback together and just couldn't make it happen, Mm. Uh, such as Chicago in the uh, 4-2 home loss to Seattle. Yeah, I saw just a tiny little bit of this game, and uh, maybe I'll just ask you this as a question. The question for me, and the question I'll pose to you now, was did Chicago play that poorly, or did Seattle play that well? I'm going to go the second. I think yeah. that, I think that what is happening right now, and, and it, it's the same thing with DC, right? They have uh, so much going forward. Mm-hmm. Um. That, you know, I think that they're, uh, I don't know if you, how you rate some of the goals, um, on Ousted there, whether or not you find him a little at fault, but, um, ultimately Chicago is, is sort of making a transition right now and they're trying, or or not making a transition. They're sort of on progression as they are integrating CJ Sapong. He looks great. Um, and I he thought looked, that Sapanta Edwards was a great combination uh, throughout the course of the evening. It was great, and um, I, th- I think that's going to be a key link up as well. 
um, the question for me becomes how long do you wait on Nemanja Nikolic to, to get back into a form or was that just sort of an anomaly that we can ex- not really expect that much more from. But before we, we move to them, I do feel like the first two goals really highlighted something that we've seen time and time again from Chicago, which is just that um, the center backs are just totally overwhelmed. I mean, that right side, um, Chicago's right side, that is, is just t- completely overwhelmed. And uh, that allows Seattle to just send player after player through that open channel um, with the speed that they have. Now, that also is combined with the fact that Seattle has incredibly fast players. But with that setup, I, I felt like those first two goals was just Chicago really taking, uh, not taking Seattle seriously enough. And, you know, yeah, some questionable things from Osted, just maybe um, the whole back line and the goalkeeper not being completely settled. But there's just so much room for them to run into that, you know, you need your midfielders to come in and help block up that channel when that's happening. Um, however, they, Chicago does sort of readjust to that, but only after they've given up two goals. I feel like in the case of the, the right side, uh, if you're looking at a player like Diego Campos, who is 23 and mm-hmm. got replaced at halftime um, by Brent Bronico, which is a fantastic name. Um but he's also Sounds only... like a Simpsons character. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brent Bronico. Um, he is also 23. And uh, Frank Kowski, who is the right side uh, sort of attacking midfielder, is also 23. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's a scenario where you just sort of have to throw up your hands and say, listen, we decided that we were going to, um, that we were going to give youth players a chance and, and give them minutes and unfortunately it didn't go well, but we have to do this in order to make development happen. Or if you have got to get a little bit more experienced help back there. Yeah. I mean, I almost went on a tangent there about how, uh, um, wingers are are really not expected to do much defending (laughs) in MLS, but I'm not going to go there. Instead, I'm just going to say, the center backs need to be more aware. And and for me, Chicago, this is an area that they really needed to invest in and do some work on. And oh. they didn't take it seriously enough. And they're going to pay for it all season long. That, um, yes, with CJ Sabong, with Raheem Edwards, I think they've got a really great combination. They're going to score goals. They look much quicker and more precise. Um, but for me, you know, what they're investing into Schweinsteiger, uh, I think take that money, you get a like a decent holding mid that can just hold up the ball and create chances um, and invest the rest of money in center backs. And, and Chicago could be one of the top t- five teams in the Eastern conference. Instead, they they're pouring all of this money into a, a very expensive DP. Now, granted it's, it's Basti's <laughs> the best, but the, even when, even in his best games, it's still, as we saw last season, it's not enough to actually win them games. So what's the point for that price tag? And it's not a, it's not a knock on him. It's just that with the salary cap, um, the, I I just, we, we've seen it time and time again, MLS teams that decide to put all that money into attacking mids and forwards and really, not look at their back line, they don't make the playoffs and or they don't make it far. I think that with 
Schweinsteiger, I'm willing to accept the argument that um, his big impact was to ch- turn around the fortunes of the team when he first arrived, and he may not be making the same amount of impact, even if his quality hasn't gone down, so so you, you should move him. Um, I feel like the 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 key concern in terms of a passenger on the team, like you brought up earlier, is Nikolic. Yeah. Um, as much as I want to say, well, all this stuff is happening, it's like you in in you have to be getting value out of that spot. I can't remember if he is a designated player. Um I'm pretty sure he is. But it's like it really has felt like they're kind of working around him. And I don't want to be too sort of too rough on him, but I guess this is also the scenario where uh, he's 31, but he was born on New Year's Eve, so I don't know how you uh, <laughs> how you slice and dice that. Um, but the uh, the calculus in terms of Javinko was based around strikers falling off at 31, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what you do with that because ultimately you can't pay. Uh, you can't pay somebody uh, uh, an outsized amount and then not get money out of that. Or not no, get value and, out of that, sorry. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Nikolic still has quality, and I still think he can bang in 10, 11 goals this season. But, again, are there if it's going to take... If you're going to have to wait 90 minutes for it to happen and you still end up losing 2-1, what good is it doing you? So my your the answer to your question is you get a player like Raheem Edwards and you pair him with a player like CJ Sapong so that you've got that mix of experience and um, youthful raw talent with some MLS experience as well, and you rely on that. To me, those are your pieces. At this point, it's kind of made Nikolic a bit of a surplus player, and I mean, I guess at this point, it's it's fine to have him still doesn't fix any of the defensive problems though, regardless of how you order those things. And it's just, it's a bit frustrating for me. And I'm I'm sure it's just as frustrating for Chicago fans that, okay, you do all these things, you bring in these exciting players, you bring in these signings, but it's just so easy to score against you. Um, And when you're conceding more than two goals, every single game at some point, you kind of have to ask some questions. Signing David Osted was seemingly a, a sign of a really good, positive sign that they were taking something seriously and trying to fix some of that. But it's still asking an awful lot of the goalkeeper to be your sole person propping everything up. Other than that, I, I mean, I don't mean to disrespect the players in those positions, but they, they have a mediocre at best back line. And Seattle is also... Uh, I was top three teams this season. So Chicago gets the, and, and they proved that because Chicago going from, from three, nothing Seattle, Chicago gets the first goal on 56 uh, minutes. And then on 84, they get another goal. And all of a sudden it looks like they could be in it. There is a fair amount of, in, uh, of energy. And then four minutes later, Raul Rui Diaz just <laughs> puts the fire out. Yeah. Dumps a huge thing on the cake. Bucket of water, ice cold water on it. The positive here for Chicago is that they did almost get themselves back into it and we saw a little bit of fight and they kind of served Seattle a bit of their own medicine in terms of um, that quick counterattack and exploiting 
pace down the wing. So there's something to build on there. But anyway, uh, we're gonna, we, can, we can't do 10 minutes on every game here. So another game that had a st- uh, uh, Chicago forever. Another game that I feel like had a uh, another <coughs> a structure of, of a failed fight back is Houston three Vancouver two. Mm-hmm. Um. Again, I feel, you know, uh, there was a lot of space on defense. Um, you had uh, Montero penalty. I have here that it, it might have been a little bit soft, but, you know, he catches the – he does uh, catch the ball in the gut or the knee, in, the knee in the gut a little bit. So maybe it was a little bit – you know, you the only person who knows how hard that impact comes to the, uh, to the stomach is the stomach haver. Yeah, the haver of the stomach. <laughs> um, and so, so sort of what you get out of this is is two scenarios where Houston scores, Vancouver comes back. Um, Houston gets a penalty to ca- sort of, you know, cancel whether or not people think the, the Vancouver penalty was, um, was unfair. And then Vancouver comes back again with this uh, wonderful goal from Las Bangura. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the end of the night, it's Memo Rodriguez scoring his, his second goal, and you have a third straight game where Vancouver looks good. They certainly, you know, in in the worst games that we see Vancouver, they stop playing, and they they have not done that so far in these first three games where they we've, where they've lost each of them, but they also weren't able to get the result. Yeah. What for you is the missing piece here? Because I'm, you know, short of just rehashing past talking points, I'm actually struggling a little bit with this team right now to really say, to put a finger precisely on what's not working. I think that some people in this game will center in on the play of Derek Cornelius, mm-hmm. who is, um, oh, I don't want to slander him by saying he's, or him or Canadian Premier League by being like a Canadian Premier League style signing. But let's just say that he is a Canadian player who comes from abroad that a lot of people didn't have eyes on before. Yeah. Um, and I don't, wouldn't say that I have, you know, hated his performance. We've had worse center backs. <coughs> I don't know if that's a huge endorsement. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, like, I could see people sort of picking that out as a weakness. I think the overall issue is still just team chemistry and cohesion. And there is a extremely positive and extremely negative way to look at it. Um, the negative way to look at it is that this is the first time that the Whitecaps have lost the opening three games of the season since their expansion year. Um, and... We were told from uh, the manager, Mark Dos Santos, that this was going to be almost like an expansion team the way it's built. Well, Vancouver already had an expansion year, and yeah. it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Like, it was fun, and it was full of optimism, and I was glad Vancouver had an MLS team. But, like, the 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 archetype of the bad expansion year isn't fun. And there's no – is as, as – Unfortunate as parts of the Whitecaps were last year, I didn't. I don't know that there is. It's hard. I, one of the things that I always say is, you can judge a strategy by whether or not it works. 
And if you say, yeah. this team is not working, so I'm going to blow it up, and then you lose lots of your games, well, then perhaps your strategy was not um, was not as effective as you hoped it would be. The mm-hmm. Do you have something to do? You want uh, to to respond to that before I get to the positive, or should I just hit the positive and we'll take it all together? Hit the positive. The positive is um, that it does not, as the the truest thing ever said about MLS in recent years, is it does not matter how you start the season; it matters how you end the se- end of the season. They could be. Uh, with time playing together, they could be fine by July, and this could all be forgotten. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd go with that. I mean, I'm just thinking that, you know, part of it is, you know, um, you'll notice this is a bit of a theme, and we'll, we'll, another game, I'm going to highlight it when we get to it, but um, I, I think that I think that Henry has had his moments, and I think he's a great depth center back. I don't think he's a starting center back. I think um there's there's moments there. I thought that overall he had a, a actually a pretty good game for the most part in Houston, but it's key errors that still stand out and I have to think that if you get um Kimirian when he's fit and healthy and Adnan at that left back position, all of a sudden you've got a really strong um, oh wait, no, Adnan's a right back, isn't he? I think that's true. Who the hell are they going to put a left back? <laughs> I don't... Or, oh, Sutter. Sutter and Levis are the two left backs, I think. I guess it's important to note as we as we rate um, defense that uh, Levis is injured, and so that certainly wasn't a part of anyone's plan. No, I mean, I, I, to me, I'm still seeing there's massive gaps between the, uh, the back four, and the front five, or however you want to or- organize that midfield, and it's connecting those a little bit more, and then it's just Montero standing out there, waiting for a perfect pass in. So we we've seen how they can be effective in scoring goals from the midfield. I know they're relying a lot on Andy Rose being that box-to-box midfielder to help make that connection. Um, we've seen little glimmers of it. Whether or not he's actually got the full quality to do that, I think they're... I think in um, Mark Dos Santos's head, he's trying to model him kind of after, like, Mark Anthony K. My argument would just be he's not as good as Mark Anthony K. <laughs> that's great if you have that, but you also have great attacking mids who can do the defensive work like Lee Wynn. Um, LAFC is set up to do that kind of thing. I don't think Vancouver is at the moment. So if, if Mark Dos Santos is trying to, that's his long game, I, I go, okay. Um, the fact that we're continuing to drop points, though, against, um, I mean, good sides, but things do not get easier from here. And my major thought after that Houston game was it, it definitely showed some pos- positives, um, but Seattle's just going to cut through us like Swiss cheese. That That's going to be... I'm really, really not looking forward to that game. I I really hope Vancouver brings it and finds a way to, to get a, at least a draw out of that game. I'm really not feeling too optimistic about it, though. Seattle is the advancing uh, army here, aren't they? They kind of have been since the beginning of the season. Yeah. 
Like thing, oh. things don't look good. Like if we were playing Port, like I, if we were playing Portland next, I'd be like, okay, Whitecaps, take your time, figure it out. But Seattle's coming in guns blazing, looking hot. They're scoring tons of goals. They're incredibly fast. They capitalize on defensive mistakes and make you pay for it. Like we're just, we could be in really big trouble if we are not switched on. Speaking of uh, Portland, they certainly didn't have a, a, a very good time against Cincinnati. Uh, <laughs> bad time. Yeah, a, a bad time. time. They had a real bad time. Uh, Cincinnati playing in the, at the first time in Nippert Stadium um, came to a, uh, a, a rude 3 nothing win, <laughs> as the person I was watching it with described it, uh, it's pretty, when, it's when, when Cincinnati scored their third goal. Um I have here Waston with a very Waston goal. Yep. To to start off proceedings, uh, where he I think gets on the ground and starts like trying to do a dance. Is that so, what he's doing? Yeah, uh, I actually I have the story behind that goal celebration, which had people talking. Please. Apparently, his son had said, "Daddy, if you score a goal, this is how you need to celebrate." Yes! Oh, and Waston was like, well, <laughs> all right, I promise I will. I actually liked that, like, Nick Hagland and others joined in on it so that you've got this totally ridiculous goal celebration that your teammates join in in. Join in, I thought was, was n- nice. A, a unique one, though. Yep. But um, we've seen some unique goal celebration and goals from Waston. Um... I think that you got a uh, one one thing that wasn't in my notes, but I think I notice every time I look at um, Cincinnati is how important Nick Hagelin is to them. Yeah, and you know, as as much as the first uh, couple of games or the first game rather, uh, people really sort of wrote off Cincinnati. This is where you see Alan Koch's kind of genius and long game come out. Um, he's built a really really good side, oh. and. My major takeaway from... Well, I had two major takeaways from Cincinnati here. Um, one, Spencer Ritchie, breakout performance, got uh, Team of the Week honors. I love that he also Im- tweeted out uh, immediately checks contract for Team of the Week bonus. <laughs> That's um, really good. Just, you know, a- an overlooked goalkeeper in his time in Vancouver, by some anyway. Uh, and it was just great to see him this is what you want to see from players coming out of USL and moving through the ranks is they get into MLS and they really look solid and give it their all. And I I go right now for me, Spencer Ritchie's got to be the number one goalkeeper and you would not have maybe said that at the beginning of the season, but for me, he's proven so far at least that he's completely capable of the task and has all the raw ingredients to be a fantastic MLS goalkeeper. The, Uh Sorry, jump in. No, no, no. I was going to say something else, but if you have, uh, please continue. Well, I just want to say the second thing is, like, very few teams I've seen this season, um, and and totally feel free to chime in here, Cincinnati's got chemistry. As much as we talk about the Whitecaps not having chemistry, this was a team having fun. And we've seen it a little bit from Seattle. Um, I think we've seen it a little bit from New York Red Bulls, but this was a team that understands each other and is just having fun and, and really they're fighting for each other. They seem to be getting along. They're working for each other and setting each other up. 
the chemistry is going to carry them a long way, I think, because they've also got the quality to back it up. So it's not just yeah. a, a side that's going to play some fun soccer and going to enjoy it. Is They've got signings in the right places to make sure that they've got a really strong spine for the team, that now it's a case of, um, you know, sort of slotting in pieces where you need them. I mean, the fact that they won 3 nothing against Portland without any goals from Fernando Addy tells me that this is a club that can have some major success this season. Um, I wanted to say that when you were talking about this, and this goes to the, uh, the, the chemistry part, but also to um, Alan Cox's strategy um, in, in sort of the way that he's been able to set up the team. You have on the 61st minute, you have Alan Cruz set up this, uh, this beautiful backheel goal. Um, and, and where I think is the, the team shows its character and is so strong is in taking advantage of the, the momentary distraction that always comes off of a, of a goal, um, and immediately staying on a, uh, on offense and, and getting an opportunity two minutes later. I feel Mm -hmm. like that shows, uh, I feel like that shows a lot the way they did it. Yeah, absolutely. To to not sit back after you you've scored for sure. I also have a note here that I remember somebody looking extraordinarily like yourself saying last season um, when Cincinnati picked him up that Victor Uyoa was a great signing and was going to have a real uh, come out year, comeback year in Cincinnati. And I just wanted to bring everybody's attention back to that comment because who boy was he an impactful player in that game. And it looks like somebody called it. Hey, would you look at that? I'm, uh, I, 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 there's a lot good to think about here. I almost feel like I'm, uh, I'm almost ready for like the heel turn on Cincinnati for some reason. Like I'm just, I'm just sort of bracing for, for something that's going to make this team, you know, they've been a, a, a feel-good story for so long, and I'm like, all right, what's the catch? <laughs> but yeah. when you see when you see players like Uloa and, and like Lama uh, yeah, work yeah, so well also, in their yeah. new in their new surroundings, it's it's hard not to feel good about it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's sort of like we're gonna find out that uh, you know Spencer Ritchie's killing cats or something, or we're gonna find out why the team doesn't play games on Sundays. Wait. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's uh, let's chomp through one quick just for the sake of doing that. Um, let's do it. Columbus one nothing Dallas. I have your bright start with the corner uh, kick goal, the the goal off a corner kick. Stefan OMG Hard Eyes. <laughs> yes, I think my notes are fairly similar here. Um, it's a great goal from Sorrow to just do enough to get the head on it and flick it in. And then it's just mostly solid chances for Columbus. But my notes here is uh, Columbus's strength continues to just be defensive concentration and Zach Steffen. Like, if you got Zach Steffen in goal, you really always have a chance. I thought Dallas played really well. Um, their strength just continues to be um, their pace and precision passes. Uh, one downside for he, me here was Iguain kind of had an uncharacteristically sort of off match, just uh-huh. a, a little bit kind of sloppy from him. Um, 
And then the other point here was just Pedro Santos, I think, is going to be such an important player again for Columbus this season. Just tons of quality all over the pitch. But I was I was really interested to see what would happen with this game. And maybe it wasn't the most electric performance from either team, but um, it it was good to see these two good teams play well. I was I was going to mention before uh, uh, leaving Cincinnati, Portland, uh, to play the note of the theme again, Larry Smabiala uh, gets sent off on a second yellow. <laughs> and then, uh, again, in Colorado, um, who did they play? Colorado Sporting Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a game in which, again, is, it, Colorado got so lucky off such a bad back pass yeah. from, Tim pa- from Tim Howard to, to not concede off that. Uh, I have written here, Diego Rubio will have his revenge. Diego um, Rubio did have his revenge. <laughs> off the, uh, uh, being able to score for, for Colorado against his former club. Very um, rare mistake from Tim Melia to just spill that one and doesn't see his old teammate creeping up. Oh yeah, that's what's so fun. That, that was really fun, uh, a really fun part about it. It's, it's just like... Right next to it, I was watching to see, is there any sort of, like, look between the two of, like, recognition or what? But yeah. um, he really did sneak up on that one. Um, lots and lots of crossbars. And, uh, again, a soft second yellow card that takes off Blomberg for Colorado, um, yeah. which opens up the space. Johnny Russell scores 1-1. Yeah, which is probably fair. It is a soft yellow, but, you know, on a free kick like that, that Russell scores. I mean, what are you going to do? I thought one, one was fair. I, I thought Colorado was really, I mean, they were certainly lucky on the one that goes off the crossbar that Tim Howard, uh, Tim Howard's mistake, but otherwise I thought Colorado had chances to win this one. And that wouldn't that have been a storyline, but can you imagine last year having this conversation about going Colorado one sporting Kansas city one and being like, yep, that seems right. Yeah, it is a big, uh, it is a big move in momentum for both teams, isn't it? Huge, huge. Uh, Colorado continues to, uh, you know, they're, they're the ones to watch here. They're going to be, um, I, well, I don't think it's really a hot take or anything, but they're going to be a team that breaks some hearts in terms of playoff spots this year. Um, if there's that final playoff spot open, I feel like Colorado is going to be one of those teams that's going to sneak in there and grab it from someone. Tim Howard has to end his career on a uh, playoff penalty shootout, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, the uh, uh, speaking of back passes, um, back pass the game was oh. uh, Montreal three, Orlando one. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I was like I was like, there's something that I've forgotten about that I'm remember. Oh, he's going to say something about Orlando. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. Montreal dine mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. uh, on, I, I've said, I've said before that not, that Nanny is providing gourmet service. Well, Montreal, uh, pounce on the choicest, uh, back passes on, I yeah. believe, I think both their first and third goal. Yeah. I mean, Orlando lost this game in the first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. They concede a sloppy goal. And in, and then right off the kickoff, just sloppy passing 
they feed it. I mean, they've got three defenders on the first goal, and no one can close the player down. And then right after, just a lazy square ball that there's... I think it was O'Neal that hits it, and there's just, there's no need to hit that. Just boot it up the line. If it goes out, <laughs> or it goes to the other team, just, that's one of those ones. But just, the, a lazy square ball back to your keeper, and Piatti's there and jumps on it. It's it's just completely, like, this is not, like, this kind of defending wouldn't be acceptable at a USL level. I mean, you're not wrong. It, it just wasn't it just wasn't there and it lost in the game you're absolutely right um Brian Rowe had a, a I thought decent game after that he kept the minute I mean this could have been a five one game this um, is this is a great point because I think a lot of people look at Rowe as a as a weak link but it certainly I don't think you could put it down to him no I, I think he did what he could um it was you know Orlando gets one back um that's just sort of a, a, a fortunate one. I mean, it's a good build up to the goal. Um, it's unfortunate about the late antics from Dwyer and the, the late red card and just silliness from Diallo. I mean, Dwyer looks like somebody shot him, but Diallo does swing an arm at him. So I think it's, it's fair to send him off, but it, it's just so unfortunate to see a, a bad game end so poorly like that, where you're like, we really didn't need any of that to happen. Um, no, absolutely not. I was going to say also, uh, great to see a first goal, uh, for Montreal Impact's, uh, 18 year old, I think, Orgy Aconquo. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That kid's got talent. This is a team that we already, uh, associate so closely with Saffir Tider, um, that, uh, to see them continue to move up, uh, new players is, uh, is great. Mm hmm. Yeah, really strong performance from them. Um, LA, I think, had a really... Uh, the LA Galaxy had a, straight, uh, a strong performance um, winning 3-2 against Minnesota. I saw nothing of this game and not even the highlights. So tell me a tale. Okay, so... What happened? Um, <laughs> first off, uh, you have Jonathan Dos Santos is, is, is on his own uh, scoring a penalty... Early on, I think the, the, the key thing to look at is that this is the model of, I think, a, uh, a lineup for LA that doesn't have Zlatan in it. Mm-hmm. What do they do? Uh, what do they do when he's not around? I'm trying to remember why he wasn't around. Achilles injury, it says. Mm. Um, that also kept, uh, Alessandrini out of the lineup. So those are two big names right away that, that, uh, that could create some problems, but um, Dos Santos gets his uh, his penalty kick on the the 36 minute. Um, five minutes later, Chris Pontius scores a a, a long time MLS player uh, to give uh, Ellie the two nothing lead. Now, where I think they sort of shown in terms of their uh, their resiliency is you have Jan Gregouche. I, uh, for, for, for Minnesota, I listened to, uh, the first game as noted, uh, of the Whitecaps season against Minnesota on the car radio. And I kind of swore they said Gregusha's name about 50 times, uh, in 45 minutes. Just to say, Gregus. Gregus. 
Gregush. I thought it was Minnesota was giving away a jersey of his, but it was one of those (laughs) things where you had to like tweet it out. And I was like, oh, I really want to tweet this out, but Andrew will kill me if I tweet this from our (laughs) That's MLS account. But I just really, (laughs) really wanted. But I wanted to like request they just spell it Grey Goose. I I think of it in my head. I thought of it in my head as like, like like a more French spelling, like uh, O U C H E. Yeah, yeah. Um. So Minnesota is in another one of those situations um, where they've scored, they're creating momentum, and then Sebastian Leggett, um puts that to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minnesota scores one more time, but as much as they had a positive game, um, they you know LA was able to keep it together again without two of their best players. Yeah, and I mean, I got, I got to admit, they've kind of got me eating humble pie over here because I, I said that they're going to get just slaughtered without Alessandrini and Ibrahimovic, and, you know, here they are proving me wrong. Defensively, still very capable of giving up goals, but um, Pontius certainly seems to be stepping in nicely and with performances like this getting key points, um, you know, sure, why not a, a playoff run? Atlanta 1-1 Philadelphia. Uh, I don't like ball Joseph Martinez. I, 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 this has been it's the case look. the whole time, but this look, I don't like it. It's a look. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like there's been a lot of noise from him in, and in this game, this is not one where he sort of had a lot of, a lot of impact. You have, uh, I think I saw in the highlights, there's a, a goal line player, uh, clearance from a player who, was blown past in the first place, so good, good, good save. Um, Philadelphia scores, uh, the first, uh, the first goal of, of Aronson's career. Um, I'm trying to remember his first name, but, uh, the the kid, the 16 year old, right? Well, he's 16. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. I think he's a homegrown player. Brendan Aronson. He's 18. 18. Yes. Born in the year 2000. I don't like to see that. Um, <laughs> oh, why did you have to say that? Oh, what is happening? We live... This is the end of days. And uh, and as if to not be shown up uh, by the young player, uh, it is Ezekiel Barco who uh, who comes off the bench to score. Um, yeah. One won the final. It was interesting to see Barco score and just see, like... Uh, he almost looked despondent, like, like okay, finally I scored a goal, and they'll leave me alone. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it must be hard when, hmm. The, the tough thing when you're a player that is so focused on, and, and this is also maybe something that's affecting Nemanja Manikulic as well, um, that, like, it's sometimes not even down to... Um, like any bad things you did, but just an absence of good things, right? Mm-hmm. So when you feel like you're, you know, not contributing or, or like a det- like just a symbolic detraction, that must be so hard. Uh, I guess to stomach and, and to to try try and work through as a professional. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm glad you say that because. You know, we it's easy to sit here and crap on players, and especially when they're expensive players. 
but I don't envy being in that position. It, it, it can't feel good. Uh, I think that uh, for Philadelphia, going away to Atlanta and getting a 1-1 result is, is great for them. Even if Absolutely. they have blues, blues and white chances. Yep. I, I thought that um, as much as Atlanta fans were sort of like, eh, we should have, this is another one we should have won, and a, uh, a draw is not good enough against this team, I thought that um, this is the Philadelphia that we, we saw in action, and I agree, they, they missed some chances here. Um, however, starting to show what they're about. So this, for me, was a really positive game from them, and a positive game from Atlanta, too, to get themselves back into it and see what this new look Atlanta is capable of. So I, I thought all around, both sets of, of fit supporters should, should be happy with their teams. I remember at halftime of the Vancouver game uh, on Saturday, um, looking at the out-of-town scoreboards and thinking, uh, San Jose is leading New York Red Bulls one nothing. Uh, that was the first half. The second half was not like that. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chaos team. New York Red Bulls wins four one uh, with a strategy that that I guess it doesn't mystify me, but I'm just like it's it it is awe striking to t- watch take place, which is just. Like I said, a chaos team where if you just throw the ball into the box, you have Bradley Wright Phillips and Daniel Royer who are both like excellent, excellent poachers. But I'm not trying to say that to like negate their, their talents. It's their talents that make them good poachers because they can, if, if they are given the ball with space, uh, anywhere in the box that can come up with an amazing uh, a, a piece of talent that gets the ball on the goal. Oh, you know what also helps them? Mm-hmm. Um, is when no defender makes any attempt to mark them. <laughs> I mean, that does. You're right. It, it, it's I've found, just generally, overall, um, but in this specific case as well, if you're just going to watch um, the likes of Mule, Royer... BWP, etc., as they uh, gleefully take balls in the box and just be like, oh, what's he going to do with it? I wonder if he's going to try to flick it past. Don't yeah. yeah, he did. Huh. Yeah, he did just like I thought he would. If you're going to watch that, then you're going to have a bad time. This is very true. Uh, any any other sort of notes that you had on uh, on either team? It, to, to be fair here, not just be the... Um, you know, let's poop all over San Jose show. The first goal, Erickson, that's a perfect pass. An absolutely perfect pass to Espinoza um, to beat the goalkeeper and, and just, like, laser, like place it with a laser where he needs it to go. That was really positive. Um, every single thing we've ever said about San Jose also still applies. Um, their left back Duncan really, really struggled early on, um, and in the second half, the defenders are just there watching for the whole game. There's no attempt to win the ball. Um, this isn't. This to me is what makes me worried for San Jose. Is it's not just oh, they didn't buy the right positions or um, they're missing key players. It's that as a unit, they don't look like they know what they need to do. It looks like they don't know how to play soccer. And 
they've got four or five players who are really good, and unfortunately, none of them are defenders. Well, I, I know I know that that's really harsh, but um, San Jose is just terrible at marking. That nobody's grabbing a, an open player now. Bradley Wright Phillips, I can forgive that because he's hard to mark. Every other player, they're wide open. They've got tons of time. There's a defender near watching the player receive the ball and score with that, no attempt, no attempt to get back and win it or put a challenge in. That kind of play is, I think, what really um, made them so sorry to watch last year. Yeah. You know, because just, it's just... Like, fight for it. Um, and and that says to me that they've they've already got some real problems if that's the type of attitude that they've got on the pitch to just so easily give in like that and and lose a game for themselves. Um, yeah, it's New York Red Bulls, but I want to see a San Jose that's actually going to fight for something. And we even saw little glimmers of that last season. Right now, this is not looking like a side that's capable of doing that. And as much as it, you know, in preseason, we're probably thinking like, okay, Wondolowski surely is going to like, in the first couple of games, surpass Landon Donovan's goal-scoring record. Now we're actually seriously wondering if he ever will, because the team just doesn't seem to, to have any desire to play. We are in that kind of weird, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but the weird, like, Christine Sinclair zone, where it's like, you know, you really feel like Sinclair needs to be scoring more you feel like these players need to be scoring more if they are going to ever get that yeah. milestone. But, um, yes. Well, I mean, it just but your your team's got to help you out with that. The difference with Sinclair is her team helps her out. That's true. It's just like I would be absolutely infuriated as a goalkeeper uh, or as a fan to watch a team like that just not have any heart, any desire to defend is is just completely unacceptable and. If if we're four game three games in and that's the attitude and that's the quality level, uh, you might as well just give up now. Um, the uh, the other New York uh, had some good news. Alexandru Matrida got his uh, first goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that uh, it was a really really pretty goal that came. He runs in with so much speed and then is able to make a cutback, change directions immediately, um, completely uh, be- uh, befuzzles his uh, defenders. Uh, the uh, He could have had another one with the crossbar right afterwards, um, but the New York City FC defense uh, could not hold level with Carlos Vela. Um, I also have here that uh, Ben Sweat comes on as a sub and and makes a goal line clearance that allows Alexander Ring to uh, again take the lead from New York City, um, but there is a penalty laid on, and LAFC uh, leaves New York with the points. Yeah, uh, which I thought was a pretty fair result between the two teams. I thought they were equally matched going in, and that's more or less how things played out. Carlos Vela is going to have another tremendous season, it seems. LAFC... Um, just a really good example of a team that, you know, looks at everything they did right last season and looks at the few things they didn't do so right and has looked to clean those up and has built upon that without making any major adjustments. So 
Um, things are things are looking pretty good from their side. Um, outside of uh, MLS, you've got uh, or you know uh, outside of the games, uh, there was the announcement that that um, I think kind of late in the game that VAR is coming to the Women's World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's obviously a good move. Uh, justice in the game, especially in these high stakes situations, is great. I think a lot of people were wondering why it took so long. Yeah. Um, I was really amused by this story from uh, a TV5 journalist. Did you see this? No. Uh, that but a couple of, of, of Montreal fans um, ordered at least five, he said. Montreal fans ordered oh. Montreal jerseys from the MLS shop and got Vancouver Whitecaps jerseys with Impact players' uh, names on the back. I did see this, but it was I was like heading somewhere, and I just happened to check our Twitter, and I just saw Piatti's name on the back of a Whitecaps jersey, and I thought uh, the Glass City account was just uh, taking the piss and trying to rile up some, ruffle some feathers. <laughs> Fanatics, is, Fanatics is, is replacing the jerseys. The, the fans get to keep the weird jerseys that they obta- obtained. Um, and they get a, a, a gift certificate. Uh, and we got a day of amazing jokes. They're all the, all the Twitter jokes. That's a tabernacle for me, dog. Uh, <laughs> somebody, Charles Baum tweets. And also, like, I loved this to death because, uh, for our American listeners, one of the enduring, uh, you know, short Canadian short films is the hockey sweater, an animated film about a young Montreal Canadiens fan uh, mm-hmm. sending away for a Canadiens jersey and getting a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey in the mail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, could this have happened to any other fan base in the MLS? Yeah, true. But Montreal fans, and they get, of all jerseys, another Canadian team? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh... It would have been I, better. The only thing that could make it better if it was a TFC jersey, but it, it still works. I tweeted, uh, Montreal Impact fan prays for 100 million moths to eat his Whitecaps jersey. <laughs> um, the, uh, somebody said, is Monsieur Eaton working at the Fanatics, uh, service fulfillment counter? Oh, jeez. It was yeah. just a wonderful. It was it was a wonderful thing for that day. I I, really I still love that. things that like you know. <laughs> as far as this league has come, even in the short time we've been doing this show, I still love things that just remind us that we are kind of like the Podunk League of the world. Where it's like, uh, derp, 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 derp. What team do you play on? I don't know. Stick it on. I I want to believe closest to that hand. I want to believe that this is like. When one when, when fan I did I never liked the existing merch, and when Fanatics was made the official supplier, I thought it was going to get a little bit better. Um, but you've got to say that for a Canadian fan, the online merch experience, uh, especially as somebody that doesn't live in an MLS city, the online merch experience is terrible. Yeah. Like. The, if you're subscribed to MLSsoccer.com, none of the deals ever count for Canadian or, or the, the deals are often all shipping, free shipping deals that don't count in Canada. Um, and a lot of the designs just feel sort of um, like templated. 
designs that that uh, are remade for every team, like the the Han mm-hmm. Solo shirts. And I had found at one point uh, a Welcome to BC Place, um, like a Welcome to BC Place, Place plaque that had a picture of Bayern Munich's Allianz Arena as the photo. Oh, God. Uh, it's almost like uh, Canadians counting as international players. Uh, yeah, where are we getting? When, when's that green card coming? Um, also, uh, since I've never mentioned it, I got a white cap jersey for Christmas, or not a jersey, like a, just a T-shirt mm-hmm. um, for Christmas, and it says "White Caps uh, established 1991." Uh, <laughs> which, if you uh... there. <laughs> There are a lot of, there's a lot of... Like, in uh, no um, sense is that correct. <laughs> there's a lot of controversy uh, about, like, you know, does did the Whitecaps start in 72, or did they start in 86, or did they start in 99, or did they start in uh, 2011, right? Like, because the club does like to have, it is celebrating its, its you know, anniversary season. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, 91 is not one of the, not any of those years. No, it's literally just a year. (laughs) Which is phenomenal. Oh dear. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this, so this is, I guess what I go back to in terms of this, this challenge, this challenge of, of trying to get accurate, uh, accurate sort of merchandise. 73, I said it wrong, but 73 is the, is the. NASL start date, which they often uh, claim as their starting uh, their starting position. Yeah. The other thing, which we can still talk about, even if it's just briefly, uh, and, and as oh, we're talking do. about do. as we're talking about designs and and, and merchandise and uh, MLS's mm-hmm. yeah. uh, perception and coolness, they tried. They did this MLS slash Adidas fashion show in new in new york uh it looks from the look of one video that it may have been the case that designers were given kind of like a room with a like a press table and just like a rack of different mls jerseys and told to like have at her um but i i i can't say how this process worked um I'm just a little thought experiment. Just quick, <laughs> indulge me. So you you work for MLS, and you're you're hearing that people aren't loving the jerseys this season. They're kind of boring. <laughs> and you're thinking, then see, Andrew, can you come up with an idea of how to like generate some interest in these sort of lackluster jerseys, and uh, maybe move some merchandise? What would your go to idea be? I think that we should make them look like derelict from Zoolander, as one uh, Twitter user, <laughs> as one Twitter user described some of these hacked together like, uh, designs. It's like, let's take an already bad idea that real and from a totally different industry. Like, I was like, what is the purpose of doing this? Other, like, I thought because MLS did this thing where they they were sort of jokingly showing these. MLS fashion shows of old with these hilarious old bad kits and like these really tight shorts and stuff and actually some pretty amazing jerseys to be honest. Um, 
And I thought that they were kind of just doing like a little like joke thing of that. And then I was like, oh wait, they they did this seriously. Like this was how much to be good. money did this cost? And then I think then my next thought was like, wait, some of the Alfonso Davies money went to MLS, didn't it? <laughs> Is this what they used it on? The best. So the best. The best one. So I would say that you could sort of like separate these into a couple categories. One category is like a normal piece of clothing with a jersey under it. <coughs> yeah. Um, which you you look here and there's the uh, the Montreal one is like somebody in a David Byrne uh, oversized blue suit. Yeah. With the Montreal Impact one underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um, a a example a New England's example which is like a an oversized jersey. Like, and that's mm-hmm. just it. Like, it's just a really big one. Um, you also see uh, two New York Red Bulls in Atlanta both have, like, normal jerseys, but with fanny packs on them. Yeah. Um, there You've got is... the weird caped crusader with, like, some sort of basketball net over his head, wearing a cape of, like, a bunch of different teams jerseys which, stitched together. Which kind of shambles down the runway like the cat monster from Steven Universe. I was gonna say old Greg <laughs> from the Mighty Boosh, but that one too. <laughs> I think, I think everything, as with this fashion show, uh, any idea is a good idea, it seems. And then um, you just, as... Um, I, I'll let you continue here. I'm I was gonna get the other one that I was gonna, show. the other one that I was gonna, uh, I was gonna point out was the sort of like Voltron concept where jerseys are being applied as pants legs. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a Luke as well. Just hanging. My off favorite of is the, the you're body. going through this slideshow, and right before we started the show, you're like Nick, I'll wait for you, but just go click on the link I sent you. And I was like, oh, right, this thing. And I'm clicking through, and I'm just like, what is happening? And then I'm just going through, and then I get to one, and I'm like, is that Lee Wynn? It is! It's just out of nowhere. <laughs> it's just Lee Wynn looking casual as you like, strolling oh. down the runway in a black blazer with the LAFC crest and the YouTube TV thing on it. And he's just like, yep, I definitely belong here. Oh, and wow. That, the worst part is, he looks all right. He looks okay. He looks it's all like, right. If, they should probably put that slide first. Well, there's another shot. Uh, if, you look into your, uh, if you look into your Facebook messages, there's like a, a posed photo where he's sitting outside. And like that also, I think, looks be- one of the best ones out of all of them. Yeah, this the, is... Uh... It is not the only time that I love the ones that's literally just like, we found a fashion model and we put on a soccer jersey. There's, otherwise, there's no attempt. Like, there's either these, like, weird, like, just very poorly constructed, like, jerseys as pants legs, like you mentioned, or strange capes. And then there's just, like, uh, d- d- with this one, just put the jersey over your clothes, like normal, walk. There is there is one that was like somebody's got the backs of two Columbus jerseys on their fronts, and there's yeah, no there's yeah, no that's... like there's no like like uh, change to the the sort of the structure. It's just two jerseys. I'm kind of liking this DC United crop top over a black blazer. A strong choice. Oh, I was also going to say that you also have the weird sneaking the Cincinnati sneaking suit. 
Um, I was all, um, you, Adidas has had these sort of, uh, branding opportunities before and, and next week there's not a lot of games. So if you want to, uh, if you want to finally talk about the MLS album, um, that could be a time to do time. that, which was another, uh, Adidas yeah. brainchild. Um, which I think that the Dynamo still use their song from that, but I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. No, it's, di- no, they definitely don't. Um, but, Here's the question that I and, – and this is what lies at this. You brought up the point that, that the jerseys this year generally aren't as good. But, like, mm-hmm. I wear jerseys in the summer all the time. Uh, but yeah. I'm willing to ask this question. Are mm-hmm. jerseys fashionable at all? No. No. You look like an idiot. <laughs> Not you specifically, sorry. <laughs> but it's like it's like there's no is there a good like like the the question really that's posed by this this uh this shoot is is there a good way to pull off a soccer jersey? Well, I think they've categorically answered that for us, but I could have <laughs> I could have saved them some time and money right up front and given a hard no. Not now, not ever. Well, this was a completely unnecessary exercise. Nobody needed it, but more content, I suppose. Until the next MLS fashion show. <laughs> Where can we find you online? You can find me online um, tweeting for some Great Goose jerseys at That's So MLS. Also, um, oh yeah, we have an Instagram. I should put something on there. Uh, that's so MLS as well, and of course you can find this podcast at that's so MLS dot com on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get fine podcasts. Where can we find you online? Please rate, review, and subscribe. Do them things. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Team Bates. www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine. What a Howler dot com. You can find this podcast at www.thatsomls.com. Um, in the meantime, don't get two yellows, even if you're pretty sure the second one was not a yellow, sending you off. Don't do it.